I'm Ray Hanania. I'm Bill Lipinski. And this is Two Guys on Politics, uh, a podcast we do every week uh, talking about major issues in the news. And Bill, it seems like the only major issue that there have been a number of them, but the big focus continues to be Ukraine. Have things changed at all, do you think, in the last week? Since oh, the yes, last- absolutely. President Biden finally woke up. Did he? he? decided to stop importing Russian oil to the United States. Now, I, a major, major change. I still think he's sleeping, and I don't mean it in a pejorative way that his critics say. Um, I don't think we're doing enough, and I'm glad that he's finally you know, uh, blocking the purchase of Russian oil right here in the U.S. But I still think we look weak. Does this really make us, do you think it makes us look tougher that we're, it's like step by step? Well, I think that if he didn't do it, we look extremely weak that we were uh, putting all these sanctions on uh, Putin and Russia and not uh, stopping the importation of oil from Russia. So I really think he had to do it. There was uh, uh, a lot of pressure from uh, the uh, citizens of the United States. I think 75% of the people in the poll said that we should do exactly that. But he's got to take a lot of other steps now. He has to uh, go back to the position on gas and oil that former President Trump uh, uh, had. Uh, in the last few months of his administration, we had so much oil and natural gas that we were exporting it around the world. In fact, if uh, we would utilize the full capacity of the gas and oil that we have in this country, uh, we would uh, be the largest producer in the entire world. Now that's really saying something considering how bad off we were once upon a time. Well, and I wanna explore that a little bit more with you, but I wanna go back to the beginning of what you were saying that uh, he had to do that, doesn't it? And this. I think the big issue for him is he looks and he looks and sounds weak. Maybe he doesn't sound as weak as he looks, but he just now we're what two weeks into the invasion. And now he decided we're going to stop buying oil from Russia. It looked weak that he started his sanctions without imposing that. Why didn't he do it in the beginning? Why do you think he didn't do it from the beginning? In the beginning, Uh, I know the Europeans uh, you know, are opposed to it because they're still so dependent on uh, Russian uh, gas and oil that uh, they don't want to do it. They haven't done it. And I don't know if they ever are going to do it. The only way that they could possibly do it would be if I say we could get uh, a number of other producers to increase the production, like Saudi Arabia, right. the United Arab Emirates, and Venezuela, uh, they're talking about, too. Venezuela would be another one. Yes, very definitely. And I know a lot of people don't like the fellow who runs Venezuela. But as uh, Winston Churchill once said, if the devil invaded hell, I'd have a few good words to say about the devil. <laughs> uh, or you're the enemy of my enemy is my friend, right, Venezuela? But right. now, uh, obviously, this uh, oil uh, ban... Uh, this Russian oil ban only applies to us. But I heard several European countries, and they're the ones with the big problem because somebody said that they rely on 40% of their oil comes from Russia. And it was almost like they didn't want to talk about it. 
It was one reason why NATO was so reluctant to really come together, why this dragged on until uh, Russia invaded. It seemed like there wasn't real unity at the time. Is oil that big of a problem, do you think, in terms of our unity? Because we don't look unified. The NATO hasn't stopped buying the oil. I think it's the single most important uh, problem that we have in regards to uh, imposing stronger and stronger sanctions on uh, Russia. Although recently uh, we've been talking about a no-fly zone and it doesn't seem to me that uh, uh, we can make up our minds or the uh, Europeans can make up their minds if they want to have a no-fly zone or not. And uh, I was uh, reluctant to impose one for quite a while. But with the, uh, the brutality of Russia, I think it's necessary for us to impose a no-fly zone. Now, exactly how we go about it, I'm not really sure where we get the planes from. Poland has offered uh, up their old MiG fighters, uh, but it seems like the Biden administration, at least publicly, hasn't wanted to go along with that. Yeah, it seems I, I still think we're the United States. We look weak. We're behind the eight ball. Um, we're talking about something that we should do, but we can't get it done. Um, I heard Biden say the other day that, uh, or at least his spokespeople talking about how um, to provide uh, a fighter jet to allow Poland to provide fighter jets to the Ukraine uh, military would be dragging NATO into the conflict. And I know that that's their big fear. It's like they keep sending the signal, we don't want to fight. We don't want to fight. We don't want to get in the conflict. That's not what a good, strong president should be talking about. They no, should, the ref- yeah, they should reframe it and say, if you don't do what, we, what we needs to be done, we are going to have to do some really tough things. But we're doing it backwards, it seems, from a very weak position. Well, I think one of the worst statements that Biden made uh, was that uh, if we were to put fighter planes in there for a new, uh, for a uh, no-fly zone, you know, that would be an act of war. Right. Uh, well, it seems to me that the Russians are at war right now. Yeah. With, uh, certainly with the Ukraine. And the other day, Putin said that uh, these sanctions that we're imposing is an act of war. So I don't well, know if a fly zone would escalate that at all. Yeah, and, uh, and uh, as uh, I was going to say that uh, uh, Biden was saying, when you look at Biden and Putin, the way they talk, the rhetoric, Biden says that would be an act of war. When you, when you listen to Putin, Putin isn't saying this is a war. Putin is saying that this is a special, special military operation. That's what he's been saying. And language is like a key part. We're not thinking. Putin is thinking. He thought about, don't refer to it as a war. It's a special military operation. We're just saying whatever emotionally comes to us. And we're not even putting our teeth in when we say it. We're gumming the issue. Let me interrupt you here for a moment. I just got a communique from our new producer that Putin said that it is an economic war. That it's not, not a, I guess not a war with bullets, uh, but uh, that would apply to uh, NATO in the United States, uh, but it certainly doesn't apply to uh, what's going on between uh, Ukraine and Russia. That is a shooting war. 
And by the way, let's uh, let's that this is a good opportunity to introduce our uh, new producer, uh, Brian Broking. Uh, he's your grandson, right? Congressman, former Congressman Bill Lipinski. I still call you Congressman, though. Well, you can do that. It's OK. Just that's the appropriate I, title. I didn't lose the title. Yes, he is my grandson. And I'm very proud of him. Brian, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, Brian Broking uh, is going to be our producer. He's going to be helping us with the program. We're going to get him set up where he gets his own icon behind him on his uh, pretty soon. We're going to promote you at the next uh, program. We'll get that done. And uh, Brian, first of all, tell us a little bit about yourself. Introduce yourself to the audience. Yeah, for sure. So I'm uh, I'm Brian. I'm, I'm Bill's grandson. I, uh, I'm 25 now, uh, so I'm, I'm in my mid-20s and currently working as a software engineer um, in the city of Chicago. So I, I kind of come from a lot of these political discussions from a kind of tech-based perspective, kind of ushering in a new world and kind of what, what we're going to go forward with technology and how politics and technology interact. It's a lot what I think about. Yeah, and we're going to add a segment uh, every uh, podcast now where we bring you on. I mean, you're going to be helping us with all the shows, but we're also going to do like a five to 10 minute segment offering a younger person's perspective because not everybody wants to listen to two old guys like your grandfather and myself chew the fat on. (laughs) Chew the fat. You're older than I am, so I can understand it. I hate to be called a veteran, okay? When they call me a veteran, I feel, don't call me a veteran. I sound too old. But we, you know, we want to know what young people are thinking too about this. So, how do you? What do you think young people are saying about this war? What's their feeling? I mean, you've heard your grandfather, in my views, a little aggressive, very critical. What's their focus? Do you think? Well, I think there's a couple of things. Uh, for a lot of us, our entire lives, we were at war with Iraq, Afghanistan. We had troops out there. They were deployed from the time we were in middle school, high school. That was the time of the troop surge during the Obama era. So really for a lot of us, our, our entire lifetimes, we've been at war. And finally, six months ago, for however bad the withdrawal was, we withdrew from Afghanistan. Oh, it's interesting. And weren't in there anymore. So, yeah. so this was really, you know, the first six months of my lifetime that my country wasn't at war with someone wow. else. So a, a lot of kind of the idea behind that is what do we want to be at war again and kind of the costs and benefits of that? Because the first question you kind of have to ask is, are we at war with Russia right now? Russia will suggest, yeah, we are at war. We, we're at an economic war. If you look at the level of sanctions we put on them, they're unprecedented. Right. Really, it, it is a active aggression towards Russia. The, the next question is, does a no-fly zone pass some boundary where we are then in war? I, I think a lot of people at least around my age would say, yes, that, that, that is, that is, they're not boots on the ground, but they're boots in the air. I mean, we're, there's if we're a, doing that, we're saying we're fighting. There sounds like, there sounds like there's a reluctance given the fact, and I, you know, you make a good point because in Bill's lifetime and my lifetime, we've had war, we've been out of war. I grew up during the Vietnam war. Then after that, there was no war. Then came the, uh, you know, the Iraq uh, uh, war and then the Afghanistan war and all the other violence. And then there was a period of calm. But um, I guess it is uh, for some for young people it, being in a lifetime of war, you know, going back all the way to, uh, geez, uh, 1990. Right. When uh, George H.W. Bush invaded uh, 
Kuwait to push the Iraqis out of Kuwait and the tensions we had, um, you know, that uh, I guess that would make it's a little now, and I don't want to misinterpret what you're saying. It's not a hesitancy. Right. It's you know, we were just getting used to a breather. Right. Well, it's it's that. But it's also a, a question of is that the best place to be spending American resources? You, you can kind of see, you know, civilization is like on the up and the down. And a lot of people seem to think, you know, given all the polarization and different issues in America, that we're on the down. So, so if you, you assume that the, the biggest way and the most rapid way to deplete your resources is looking outward rather than inward. Right. I think that's a lot of what Trump spoke to four years ago is he, he's, he looked inward. He, he wanted them to pay. Like he wanted Europe to pay for NATO. And that, that we've gotten out of this. Germany is now paying, what, 2% of their GDP, which they hadn't been doing for years, which that then kind of begs the question of, should we be using our resources here? Why is the U.S. government supplying the jets to Poland to then supply to the Ukrainians? Why are we paying for this? But we, aren't, we the, aren't we the leader of the free world? Aren't we uh, the champions of democracy? Um, Personal I, democracy, that's what we are. What the is Cole it? Franklin the, Delano Roosevelt. You remember him, right? Oh, yeah, I do. Now, did you vote for him, right? No, I wasn't around. My dad did, though. <laughs> My dad would speak of him very highly and uh, uh, thought he was very important, uh, you know, influenced his life. Uh, of course, he lived through World War I and World War II. And uh, served during, yeah, he was well, he born 19, yeah, he was born 1901, uh, too young to get into World War, almost uh, old enough to get into World War One, but then served with the OSS uh, during World War Two, um, which later became the CIA. Now, now, Brian might be the only member of his generation uh, that knows what OSS was. <laughs> Office of Strategic Services, right? Yeah, right. that was a big deal. Well, Brian, yeah. let me ask you, not just where you are at in regards to the situation with Russia and Ukraine, but, uh, you know, your generation, are they supportive of this or are they not supportive of it? I think a lot of, you know, this generation is supportive of the idea of, you know, freedom and, and democracy and those, those ideals are important. But I think the, 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 the generational gap is almost from an idea of, you know, from the perspective you guys have, the U.S. is the dominant democracy in the world. They, they are the one and only. Whereas the, the better way to see it from, you know, my generation would be everyone. There, there are democracies, vibrant democracies across the world now that the U.S. has basically built over the past 50 years since World War II, 75 years since World War II. We don't need to be the only one doing these things anymore. We, we need to offload some of that onto the things we've built. You basically need to, you need to transfer the mantle to the next generation of democracies to help us out because we simply can't do it all by ourselves anymore. We, we need the help of these other strong Western democracies to push back the kind of ideals of China and Russia. I think in theory, that's a great idea. I just don't trust the other democracies. I, I just don't trust them. I trust some countries in Europe. I don't trust too many of them down in South America. And I think a lot of the democracies we have are there because we're funding money. We're giving them foreign aid and we're supporting them and they find a benefit from us. 
Um, but I am really worried about Russia. I, you know, from the Vietnam era, I still worry about the domino theory, where if you lose one country to Russia, they'll take the next country. And I really think that uh, if Russia gets away with this uh, war in Ukraine, which I think it looks like they're getting away with, in spite of the sanctions, that I think it's going to put huge pressure. There's going to be a lot of anger in Europe and NATO and with Russia um, and with our public. It could actually start another war. So we don't want to get into a war, but I don't know, Bill, every war we've ever been in, I don't think we intentionally wanted to get into the war. We got dragged into the war, right? World War II. Well, to quote Winston Churchill once again, Winston Churchill said you could always depend upon the Americans to do the right thing after they've tried everything else. <laughs> and uh, I really think that that is pretty much uh, still the same situation. I believe that Joe Biden has done a very good job in putting together this coalition against Russia. Now, there's a lot of things that they haven't done, but I think he's got them at least moving in the right direction. I was amazed that the new chancellor of Germany has really talked like rearming Germany after all these years and played a much more important role in defending democracy around the world, in spite of the fact that his economy relies upon Russian oil to such a great degree. I right. thought that was a very courageous statement on his part. But to go along with what Brian is talking about, having other people get involved, Japan. We've been defending Japan ever since the end of the Second World War. It's time that they start defending themselves. You know, yeah. I agree. We cannot do everything. We still have to be the leaders, though, I believe. But many of these countries have to pick up their share of the responsibility for freedom and democracy. But, but there's a trust that we have to assume with, for example, let's use Japan as a good example. Uh, we trust Japan to do the right thing, but it's very possible that they could soon become very close friends to the Chinese. They could become very close friends to the Russians. Maybe it's in their best interest to work with the Russians. I don't know if I want to let go of that uh, pressure to prevent anybody from crossing the line because China is one of the biggest economic forces in the world today. And economy seems to be driving the interests of a lot of these countries. I worry that we would lose support. All these NATO people that you're right, uh, Biden brought everybody together, unified them, but how did he unify them? He found out what they didn't want to do and we didn't do it, right? And then they said, okay, now we'll join you because we're not going to, Germany, right? They didn't want to give up the oil or the pipeline. It took us a while to force them to do that um, because of the out, you know, the extent of the horror of what was happening in Ukraine. I'm very pessimistic. Let's go around the table and it, let's ask Brian uh, just a final question here. Give us what you think is going to happen. What do you think is going to happen in in the Ukraine with this war? Well, I think from from everything we've seen so far, this this isn't going to be something that's resolved in the next weeks or months. I think it'll it'll drag on for a long time, months if not years. Um, it, the The real question is what the end goal of Russia is. If it really is reunification of the old Soviet Union, you know, they're they're not going to stop. They're going to keep going. But at the same time, if you look at the geography of 
of Ukraine. You can kind of say, you know, before there was that buffer. And as long as Ukraine didn't join NATO, there was a buffer between the NATO countries and Russia. If they do indeed take over all of Ukraine and unify it under Russia, they've just exposed a gigantic front around the entire country of Ukraine that, that are now all NATO allies. So what, what, what the question is from there. So really what I think ends up happening is they, they take, you know, pieces of, you know, the, the separatist regions out there and then the up through Crimea a little bit. But I really don't see how they control the country that much further than that going forward, because it's not really in their interest. They just want to keep a, a buffer, which is why they kind of they want to appoint that, you know, secondary PM to the, the president. They, they just want some semblance of a buffer. And that's, I think, where it where it ends. All right, Brian. Uh, Brian, we're looking forward to you working with us as a producer. We're very excited to have you. Uh, you're going to make uh, both your grandfather and me look good. You know, having somebody out there helping us find, you know, stories and information. So, uh, you know, Ray, uh, but uh, I want to go back to Brian because he he was talking earlier to us earlier today to us about uh, uh, Bitcoin, and uh, he wanted to have a few words to say. Yes, about go ahead. Sorry, you're right. Because President Thank Biden you. has made an announcement this morning. Sure, sure. So, so the. The kind of tech aspect of, of this whole thing and kind of where where Ukraine, Russia, that kind of ties into the story is the war of the 21st century, if you think about it, you know, it, it won't be, you know, fought with boots on the ground. It'll be fought in cyberspace. It'll be fought with money, since money is basically all digital now. And, and the, the next frontier is kind of the, the question about cryptocurrency. The idea that the Russians could get around these cryptocurrency or these sanctions with cryptocurrency and different things like that. So today, the Biden administration came out with a new guidance that basically said they're looking to regulate crypto. And this actually was a boon to the market. It was up 10%. Billions of dollars flooded in over the past day. And that was kind of based on the idea that there will be some official guidelines that is going to let companies like Coinbase, FTX, actually provide a new financial market going forward in the future. So I, I think there isn't a lot in this. It was basically saying they are putting out guidelines. They are going to do something. They're going to look at it. But there isn't any specifics yet. But I think going forward, regulation, some sort of regulation in this new market is going to basically allow America to stay on top of the global economics. Just like they could control Russia with you know, the banking system now with SWIFT, they can also do it if they embrace crypto going forward. Well, let me just say that don't believe everything that they tell you, Brian, okay? You're young. <laughs> don't let them take advantage of you because I remember when the computers first came out in the 1980s, I was one of the first that jumped on board. I learned computer programming. I actually sold programs to the big computer pro, uh, companies. <laughs> But they had told me that one day the computer is going to replace the checkbook. Okay. <laughs> I just want to show you. Here's my checkbook. I don't know if you can still see it. There it is. That's the checkbook. I have to keep this thing around because I do not trust computers. Brian, listen, that was a great perspective. Thank you again so much for joining us. And uh, really, we're looking forward to uh, having you do these news reports for us on what's happening and giving us your perspective on you know, kind of giving a little balance to some of the issues that Bill and I talk about. 
Yeah, for sure. Thanks for All having right. me, guys. All right, Brian. Thanks very much. Bye. Billy, thank you. Billy, very proud. You should be very proud of your kid, your grandson. He's a great guy. Very smart for a guy that's only 25 years old. Yes, I don't know. Very, if, very smart. Yeah, mm-hmm. I don't know very if I could have handled the issues when I was 25 years old. I think I had just gone into the military when I was uh, 24, and it wasn't until after the military that the light bulb opened up in my head and my whole life changed in a very positive way. Any other topics at all that we missed? Well, Any I final thoughts say, about Ukraine? My position in regards to uh, the United States, we're going to have to be the world leader for a long, long time. But we cannot do it alone any longer, particularly with the possibility of Russia and China hooking up together. So yes. that's why I'm encouraged by what the Germans are doing. That's why I want to see the Japanese rearm. And I don't ever see the Japanese getting tied up with the Chinese. There's too much history between those countries in the Second World War to see them ever united. So I think we have to encourage people to prepare themselves militarily to keep the peace, keep democracy. We'll stay out there. We'll try to be the leaders, uh, but we can no longer do it all by ourselves. All right, Bill, thank you. I'm Ray Hanania. I'm Bill Lipinski. And this has been Two Guys on Politics, a Reagan Democratic perspective on issues in the news. Uh, And it's a special uh, episode because we uh, introduced our new producer, Brian Broking, who's going to be doing news reports for us, giving us a young person's perspective during our future broadcast the way he did today. So we want to thank Brian for joining us. And we hope you guys will watch us next week when we come back with two guys on politics. Thanks, everybody. Have a good night.